Hi, you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Uh, my name is Eric Askew, and I am the creator and founder of Worlds Overrun, a terrain building business. Okay, so you so you have uh, segments. Are they uh, STLs for the end consumer to then download and three D print on their own equipment, or do you three D print the models and send those to the consumer? Um, let's see. We make we specifically make the files. We make the files for the end user to print. Um, I have some license individuals that print for people that don't have their own printers, but primarily uh, we make the files. Um, it's the way that this business is pretty much going to move forward um, because there's more and more people getting into having their own equipment. Um, the variables are a little bit easier for them because people can change sizes of a part. Um, it's, it's mostly about um, making better content or making... It's, it's filling two specific needs. Um, I have a bunch of goals, which I'll, I'll share, but the, the primary need for us is really um, how do we make um, better subject matter for people that own 3D printers and how do we enrich tabletop gaming beyond just playing on a 2D surface? Um, because why are you playing a 3D game in a 2D environment makes no sense to me. It never has, honestly. Um, so Maybe yeah, a little better than the old days of just taking an old six sider and using those as models. Well, absolutely. And and some of the funny things about it is, is that you know, um, when 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 we make a part, you know, because I've studied toy making and I used to teach toy making this part here is almost impossible to make on a 3d printer unless you know a few things like, because we have these things called undercuts. So like there's an, there's an undercut here, this is all an undercut and then there's undercuts on the back. And, and the truth is, is that um, we cut this part in half and it's suddenly printable without no, any support and it makes a better product. And the funny thing is, is that when this part, when I've released this part uh, to the public, um, there was somebody who had released a similar piece, which, which I have, which I saw. And as soon as this part released, they switched theirs to free, um, oh. because I was charging. And, um, the funny thing is, is it's, a, it's a, it's a completely substandard part. It's a, like a cone. It's supposed to be the same kind of thing, but it's a cone with spikes sticking out of it. And I'm just sort of like, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> that's bad. That's just that's bad design, and it's boring on the tabletop. And no, <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there you go, Leah. It's you know, I, I design the files. I design the files because um, I want to get my stuff out there. I want it to be more broad-reaching. Um, I 
I have a vision for the future of tabletop gaming. Um, and, and for the things that I love to do, which is designing and making things. Um, Cause I don't just, although I work, I started my brand called Worlds Overrun or War um, <laughs> Tabletop Train. Although we started we, that, that, that company started, I work with another 3D company. I make statues and miniatures um, uh, for people to paint and, and, and assemble and, and do that stuff too so we work with we make like 90 millimeter pieces and then we make seven inch pieces and then we make you know 12 inch pieces um and we, we go to shows with that group too so this is actually just an extension this is my personal extension of that and i've actually got one of the pieces over here i know it's blown out because of the lighting um but that's just because it's primed um but this is actually one of the medium size pieces of my terrain and i say medium size this thing is <laughs> on a it's massive substantial yeah you know um but you're working you know you're playing with like most people are playing with 28 millimeter um unless you're going with star wars who for whatever reason decided they were going to make up their own measurement system <laughs> um that's actually been an infuriating topic within the community is these different brands making up their own measurement system, but I'll try not to. I can see why if they wanted to protect their brand and eliminate the ability for an industry standard. So then you could take another IP and put it in that unit and have it function as it was meant to function. I, I get that, but I feel that that undermines the core of what gaming should be which is to bring people together and i feel that it's a very self-serving way of doing business and i don't agree with it but then again it is the big ugly mouse who is doing that stuff so they don't care about anybody else but themselves so gotta keep that coming in yeah exactly exactly so I don't, I'm not trying to be all negative and stuff. I'm actually the, the one of the pieces, one of the pieces we're designing right now um, that we're not really going to talk about. But one of the pieces we're designing right now um, is partly influenced by Star Wars, and I'm a huge, you know, Ralph McQuarrie fan, and, and and really into the the design work that goes into those products. I'm just frustrated with. Uh, stupid things like, hey, we're not going to use 28 millimeter scale we're going to use 28 millimeter hero okay now we're not going to use 28 millimeter hero we're actually going to just call it 30 millimeter and it's just sort of like oh, i'm going to stab all of you guys <laughs> in the soft in the soft tissue somewhere because <laughs> you frustrate me but it's not an issue it's not as much of an issue uh for what james and i are doing um because we've put we've put many different pieces on the different terrain that we've designed. Um, we actually measure the, we measure the pieces. We know what systems are going to work, what systems are. Um, we try and find like a happy medium because um, none of our terrain is supposed to be. Uh, all of our terrain is supposed to be able to be used with many different formats. In fact, um, this piece beside me, which is the Thorn Hive, uh, it was inspired by. Uh, one game and their type of units, but when I took it to the game store for the first time and showed it to some of my uh, friends and what have you that that, that are that are at the game store, um, they were just like, "Oh, I could see using that for my Rift game or for my D and D game." And actually, I played for the first time. I played um, 
Dust's, I think it's Dust, I have a note there, 1947. And we used uh, the larger, the, the full expansion of this called the, the Thorn Hive Mega Maw, which is just shy of two feet. We use that to great effect with the with uh, Dust 1947. And even though it was the first time playing it, I, I, I used the strategy of passing through the model um, to isolate my enemies or my my uh, my verses, the guy I was going up against, uh, I isolated part of his team by going through here and attacking one portion of his team and sort of just wiping him out from left to right. It was, it was really it was really clever and very unexpected, which you don't see in generic terrain or or games workshop terrain where they're just like we're going to take a corner of a building and you've got some floors in it but it's not you can't pass through it it's not big enough to become a true obstacle and although you can put characters on different floors you can't put characters on different floors and go over it or find hard cover or or anything and this has this technically has three if you don't count the ground plane it has three levels of height in which to interact and um there were several times where all i had to do was was you know get myself into a, a lower position and i was in hard cover within the game and um it was it was absolutely wild and my friend and i were were at the table and it's a standing table because we i like to play standing games like the europeans do and the whole time we're, we're looking at it and then we're doing this at the table level trying to figure out who's got line of sight and it was so much more engaging to me than games that i've played before like like i i've, I've seen and i've interacted with some warhammer games and it's just like everybody's just standing around you know, and then they make a measurement, and then they're like, I'm going to attack this bunch, bunch of people over here, and I'm just sort of like, yeah, but you're not really... It's just on one level, and that, that brings to mind a game that I've currently been in, where it's all on, it's just the playing field is the tabletop, and there's no... Yeah. Interaction and, and... between, and I get what you're saying about the two-dimensional to a three-dimensional area and the ability to bring a third dimension into a three-dimensional world. Yeah, absolutely. And and there, you know, if, if things are designed nicely, this this prints, this comes right off. So if we need to make a measurement, this just comes off. Yeah. And it, it weighs nothing. Now, this is all primed. Well, partially primed. I gotta finish it. Um, what do you use? Is that PLA or uh, uh, this is this is the the PLA PLA, PLA style printing? Um, so it's no wait PLA. Or it's, it's, F, it's FDM style printing. I'm pretty sure it's PLA. Um, I have to double check. Um, now, do you do any smoothing on that at all? No, it's not necessary. It, it w there's a there's a rule that somebody pointed out to me, and I should have known about this because the guy that works on this kind of stuff is basically we call it the three foot rule um anything any of these pieces at three feet and the what we call the what i call the grow lines they they just more or less vanish um in this piece's case the the primer has made them stand out much much more but it's on the table you don't see it because you see the big and medium shapes which are like the, the little recesses and the scaling and what have you um and if I were to do more than what I'm going to do with this, um, 
if I were to do more surfacing than what I'm going to do with this, it's a lot of extra work for not a huge game. Yeah. Um, I've got this, I got this all set up so I can, um, I'm going to finish priming it. Um, cause there's a few spots I need to, there's a lot of spot checking I need to do cause it's all these weird recesses and things. Uh, I'm going to put this in my spray booth and the whole thing's going to get airbrushed. Um, and I've got these wicked cool stencils that I just picked up, um, that were recommended to me. So it's going to, I'm going to be using these guys. Ooh. These are really nice. I wish they weren't on, they're on a papery material, which is a bit of a shame. But I'm going to be using those guys, and then I'm going to go through and I'm going to airbrush the heck out of this thing. And um, a lot of that stuff is going to be a lot of the um, print lines or grow lines are going to be camouflaged by the printing. So you're basically adding noise to something that's already got noise on it, yeah. and no one will notice. I mean, unless you've got one of those people that's just like, you didn't go in and sand this part, and it's like, hey, buddy, you need to shave your neck beard off a little bit there. And, uh, get out of my face. Um, but this isn't the only thing that we do. Like with with the other company I worked for, when we paint, when we produce stuff for for people to paint, these are reliefs that we sold out of last year. Oh, pretty. And the, this is this is a just a paint test for me. I'm actually going to be stripping these uh, down with some purple power, and mm. I'm going to repaint them. Um, but these were designed by me as well. Um, these are printed on uh, an SLA printer, um, and uh, and there these are resin copies. We never um, the one fascinating thing about FDM versus SLA is that. FDM, you can go from the printer to the consumer. With SLA, you don't do that. You're always going to do uh, a molding or casting process, or you're going to do some sort of reproduction process because it's too expensive. Um, you know, a, a twenty, an eighteen ounce, eighteen fluid ounce three D print of three D printed bust in SLA uh, or stereolithography. You know that's going to be about seven inches tall, and you're looking, depending on the quality of it um, and the materials, you're looking at you know about five hundred bucks just to print that out. But if you can make thirty copies for an additional three hundred dollars, that's yeah. taking eight hundred eight hundred dollars and dividing it over three hundred dollars, and then you've got your, you know, you build your profit margin. Suddenly you're selling a, you know, seventy five dollar piece, which is much more manageable than a five hundred dollar piece to the consumer. Uh, these guys, though, these guys, um, if you're just talking materials, um, this is actually the Thorn Spire. Mm -hmm. The Thorn Spire, it's, it's material cost, which is not how most printers charge. The material cost is probably $2, okay? And it's a six-inch spire that sits on a table. It's well-balanced, got a nice footprint. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the material cost. But you figure that this part takes depending on the printer and the individual and how many you put on the bed, um, it's going to take from four to eight hours to print, print out one to a handful. And, you know, you, you if you charge, you know, I'm just for ballpark figures, let's say you charge $10 per print hour, you know, that's that eight hours you're getting, let's say you get four of them in eight hours. That's, um, it's 40. Yeah, it's about forty bucks, which is that that's that's probably unreasonable. I don't know what people are charging for the print hour, but yeah, if that math doesn't add up, that's not right. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> it, well, it isn't because I knew I knew. Well, I mean, you could you could always take it to Shapeways and see how much they're charging. True enough. True enough. Um, but yeah, so so this is what we do. We design. We're designing uh, a more intricate, complex product. Um, we're trying to enrich the community. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful product. I would be proud to throw something like that onto the M3D and see how it butchered it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is that I'm, I'm making, I'm pushing what people do. Because um, I, uh, my last Kickstarter, uh, which was catalog to uh, Congratulations on the immense success of that one. I saw your goal compared to what you had actually been pledged. And... I mean, I, it exceeded your goal by leaps and bounds. I cheated. Oh! I cheated. I, 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 everything is a game. Everything is a game. And I told James this, and I'm like, we've made the product. And he's looking at me, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, we're going to set the goal really low. I don't care what we need. We need to sell the product. So I said, we're going to set it for a, a hundred bucks. And he was like, well, what do you want to make? And I'm like, well, my personal goal was to get 300 backers. It wasn't about, it's not, the money is important to me because I want to keep the lights on and I want to make more product. This is my business. This is my company. This is hopefully going to be our, 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 our pursuit over the next handful of years. But my personal goal was to increase the number of backers, not to make stupid money. Right. So, <sighs> I set it at a hundred dollars and I told James, you know what, the next one we're going to do, we're going to set it for a, a buck <laughs> because, because if you can cheat, if you can manipulate the system, why not? I, we, we're already making the product. The product's already done. People are still going to have to drop whatever the minimum requirements are to purchase the product from us. I don't care what Kickstarter's, numbers say they mean nothing to me because all I really want to hear is take their cut anyway. Exactly. And all I really want to hear it from, from my consumers is I printed out your thing and it's awesome. And I love it. And I can't wait to play with it. And I'm just sort of like, yeah. You know, and there's nothing more fun for me as a designer than to hear somebody completely losing their their poo because they printed out something that I designed and they want to put it on the table and have like fun with it. There's nothing more exciting than that um, because I made it and they're playing with the thing that I made. They, they've taken a piece of, of who I am and how my sensibilities are and what I want to do and they're excited. And, and, and that to me is is what being part of a community and developing, even though it's kind of a long distance camaraderie, but it's really what it is with the community, which is, is that I get to make things that make other people happy. It's, it's why it's why it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's the best part of, of the, 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 the designing process, the, the making of the thing where I sit in a room and I, where I sit in, this is my studio, where I sit in my studio and I design something and I talk to James and we 
we we act like you know good old boys shooting back at each other and trying to figure out how to solve problems and what have you that's one thing but there's nothing more fun there's nothing more fun than making a product for somebody else and then having them get excited about it and then if it weren't for having to pay for electricity pay for the internet pay for food and and clothing because nobody wants to see my naked body I, I would do this for free if I didn't have to make money. You know, I, I, I would. I would do this for free if I didn't have to make money because I enjoy doing this stuff and I enjoy the interaction. And, and I even enjoy it more when I get to see people finally print them out and finally cover them with miniatures, even if they're not painted, because I'm not really concerned about that at the moment. Um, yeah, we, don't, we don't take too much care with paint over here. <laughs> so well, I do I just, I just, I just bought all of Tim Gore's paints. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm really excited because I'm going to be painting all of these pieces with my new airbrush uh, setup. Oh I got, man! I got you Tim have Gore's. an actual setup. See, we just used the water-based ninety-nine cent up at Joanne's Crafts. Well, you can't, you can't really. You can't really see it, but I've got a, I've got a giant spray booth over there. Wow. And. I'll put this entire thing and all of the other parts inside of it and I'll still have room to spray and I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I mean, I'm looking forward to it because this, this, this paint line by Tim Gore who paints, um, he painted some of the monsters in um, Hellboy, for instance, he's a professional oh. painter. He made this paint line and it's called Tim Gore's blood bloodline. Ooh. And this was recommended to me by my boss um, who paints a lot more than I do. And, um, and I think, I think for, I think I got 15 paints for like, like it might've been a hundred bucks. Um, so I'm just going to go to town on this stuff. Uh, that's, that's why they're primed or I started priming them. I'm going to go to town on this, um, later this week. And, uh, the new pictures of the finished product. I'd love to share. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to do a lot of fun stuff with this stuff. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I've got a, I've, I haven't figured out what my color palette is, but I want to try and because um, a lot of people, I've had two two weird conversations about my product. Actually, I've I've had many weird conversations, but two stick in my mind. One is what should I paint it, and I'm just sort of like, paint it however you like. I have you know they're like, well, how would you paint it? I'm like. I haven't had a chance to sit down and think about it. I just designed the shapes and, and came up with the, the layouts and all this other stuff. I haven't had a chance to think about that. And the other thing, the other weird question I've had is what's the backstory? And I'm like, you tell me what the backstory is. And I had one person get very upset with me <gasps> and I said, no. and, and we had a conversation and I think we settled it, but they got really upset with me. And, and their thing was, well, if there's no backstory, how can I, you know, you know, I, I disagree with what you're saying and this, and that, and the other thing. And I was like, when I started playing with toys, I had Legos and I had building blocks. And I always made up my own stories because my own stories were far more interesting than whatever the Lego came with you know it's like hey you're gonna build a motorcycle i'm like no i'm not i'm gonna build a a flying S star wars spaceship you know with arms sticking out of it uh -huh. and, and and gun platforms and what have you 
and and I'm gonna take the wheels for the motorcycle and check them in the garbage because I don't want to build a motorcycle. <laughs> and, like to me, the idea of telling somebody what it is um, leaves them no room to decide what it is for themselves. And although I do give a couple of lines in each Kickstarter about the world of Thorn or the world of Scorch or the one that we're working on now called Strata, if I tell people what it is, if I'm very literal and confining about it, then there's no room for them to really explore the thing and come up with a much more complicated, rich, exciting, provocative story for themselves. I can see how that would be confining to some people because I'm that way when it comes to music. Like uh, I had, that's one of the problems that I had when I was making music with a friend of mine uh, because I had complete creative control, like not a just, just make a drum loop or just do just do keyboardish stuff and that sounds like a Hammond I3 or something like that. It's like, no, you've got complete creative control. You do whatever you want. Uh, what do, where do I start? Well, you know, it's just too open. I, I'm gonna There's I'm gonna say for creativity and I'm, I'm gonna say this though it's not a blank canvas you no. can't you can't look at this and say that this is an elephant no or a dragon or 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 some or or a rock formation this no. is very obviously a a very specific thing and although we've given the, the label of a thorn spire the words thorn and spire are are they bring certain iconography and and figurative ideas into your brain but if i were to say for instance and i'm going to make up some random stuff but if i were to say for instance this is the remnant of a giant's thumb bone mm -hmm. sticking out of the ground um then all of a sudden people are like from now on, that's all I ever see when it's on the table. Uh, you know, from now on, it's always going to be that thing in my head. Um, and I'd rather have someone say, it's a plant, or it's, it's a piece of coral, um, or it's a, a organism's uh, spore distributor, for corrupting the land or fungus yeah yeah exactly exactly and and so for me to tell them what it is um in my mind i i don't feel that that's beneficial to to my product or my brand or or to the people that are going to play with it and it isn't a blank canvas. It isn't. It isn't the drumbeat thing. It isn't. It isn't. You have full freedom control and go do whatever you want. It's a specific thing. And when uh -huh. you when you grab it, when you feel it, when you touch it, it's it's to describe this thing blindly. It's light. It has a chalky feel because of the primer. Uh -huh. There's there's smooth parts and there's spiny parts and there's to to grab it fully. It's it's yeah. it fits it wants to fit in your hand but it pokes you at the same time and all of those things are conveyed visually as well as physically 
And um, I think that, that, that I've given the consumer and the viewer and the person that's going to play with it, I've given them plenty to think about without having to tell them what it literally is or what I think it is. So it's not a blank canvas. And, and that would be the, the counter to that, to that, for lack of a better term, argument. Um, because I, I know what this is in my mind. Um, but I don't want to impose that on other people. I want them to enjoy it for themselves. Um, and yes, uh, also, um, just to uh, shift gears a little bit. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Leah. <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, when when you find yourself uh, stuck, not necessarily stuck, but in the mode of working and getting getting things done and and working on getting the textures right in ZBrush or even with your airbrushing. Do you find yourself a little bit low on energy occasionally? Yeah, no, the creative process for me is, is um, when my energy is low, it's, it's usually because I'm frustrated. Um, but generally speaking, um, and I'm looking for something that I can show. Um, generally speaking, my my frustration level is usually what brings me low, and I think that that's more to do with stress than anything. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, when when James and I are talking of, through a problem, and it's really what they are—they're problems, um, not not bad problems. But when we're talking through design problems, um, because we've both been trained and we both practice. Uh -huh. um, design is now really you've both been trained uh, very well in uh, different areas. Now you with uh, with computer animation as well. Um, I don't I don't know what happened to James after he went to Los Angeles. <laughs> There's like well years I, of I don't know what happened. It's, to it's really funny, and I'm going to tell I'm going to tell you part of it from my perspective, and then he can uh -huh. fill in. Um, <laughs> He he was my student briefly, um, and then he went off and went to Los Angeles because of an individual. And then he came back, and he ended up getting hired by the school that that he went to and that I was teaching at. And he became my um, my lab partner, and I was the lead lab instructor. And then I retrained him some more. And, and he and I were always very close friends. When he graduated, he came over to my apartment and we goofed around and talked shop and I showed him what I was doing. Um, but then when he came back, we, our friendship grew and grew and grew. And um, we had such a great time together um, because we have very similar sensibilities about what art is, what design is, what products should be going on. Um, we've known each other for going on probably, probably close to eight years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, um, a, a bit, a bit longer than that, my friend. A little bit uh, longer than that. It's, <laughs> it's hard to keep track because I moved. Time I moved, just goes. <laughs> yeah, well, I I moved back to Connecticut, and I can't remember when James James first graduated because it would be when he graduated plus a year. Um, but yeah, you know, real quick before we before we continue on James. 
this is this is some design work that he and I were exploring for some of our product. Um, so when we design a piece, um, it starts on paper and a lot of the problem solving gets done there, but there are times like with the new pieces that we're designing, um, you can design it on paper a lot, but then you may miss a problem until you have either a digital or physical copy of the thing. Um, and we're constantly battling that particular thing because it's cheap and fast to do on paper, but it's, it can't inform all of your decision-making. But anyway, yeah, James, go ahead. James, James and I have known each other for, for almost 10 years. Yeah. So yeah, Eric and I, Eric and I got started at Full Sail. Um, I, I did after, after graduation, I headed out to Los Angeles for, uh, for a few years, uh, Tried my hand at the visual effects industry out there. Um, had a had a bit of fun with it. Uh, did some low budget productions. Wound up doing a, a couple of TV shows. Uh, had a, a hand in a couple of movie productions. Um, the thing that uh, the it's okay. It's a little skit in the way. I, I so here's my 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 current greatest adventure. Uh, my my son Logan. So the greatest uh, journey of all. Yes, indeed. Dad, I need you to see something quick. I will be right there in just a moment, my son. <laughs> all right. <laughs> just a moment. That's okay. <laughs> um, but anyhow, I, I was going to digress. Uh, for those moments where you're feeling a little <laughs> bit de-energized. <laughs> Well, Legends, uh, of Table, I, Legends of Tabletop, the coffee mug. The coffee mug. And I was going to talk about our the small batch coffee roaster of my choice, which would be Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. And feel free to, uh, to attend to Little if you need to. I just Give me just a, a brief moment here. It's okay. All right. Um, so yes, uh, so much energy. If I could bottle it, I, I would probably make uh, it even greater killing than than most coffee producers these days. <laughs> um, so yeah, my 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 career in the in the in the arts and everything started with uh, visual effects production. Um, after the the writer strike back in. 2009 uh that really did a number on hollywood and u.s uh productions um for for those of us that were able to to head off to canada and uh, a few other places they were able to continue but for for some of us it was uh just a, a bit more of a, a hurdle so i i wound up going back to to full sail as an instructor um uh, started off a lab instructor and, and kind of moved my way up um started working uh hand in hand with eric in the the modeling department um yeah. i've i've always been um uh, very, a sculptor, a physical sculptor. I, I build things in, in Sculpey. I've done miniatures in the past, uh, things like that. But for me, it was always the, the process of creation and, and, and building. Um, as Eric and I have worked together over the years um, and with uh, the, the, the projects that he's been working on and developing, um, he started to um, explore resin casting and things like that. Um, 
to the point where he yes the, the his his resin cast pieces but the, he he went out and bought himself this this big steel cylinder just for the express purpose of turning into a custom made vacuum chamber for degassing his, his, his resins and everything it was i i was i was a little i was a little blown away by it a little overwhelmed by it but i mean the man's the man's focus and vision. he, I, he st- knows. I still have i still have that equipment it's yeah <laughs> yeah no it's you can put a you can put a four year old in the vacuum chamber and oh, no. a two year old in the pressure pot if you really wanted to. No. <laughs> so it's it, one of the things here has been with with the the advent of three D printing. You know, moving moving beyond just the 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 realm of hobbyists and stuff. I mean, this is this is something that. Everybody with a few hundred bucks and some some simple 3D software, even the ability to download STLs from the various sites, can now start producing themselves. Yeah, um, and, that, and that makes it a lot more accessible to designers as well, because then absolutely. you no longer have the overhead of warehouse space, logistics management, the shipping, and all of that, because it's almost instantaneous. When when we were working out some some aspects of the business model, I, I I was still attached to some of that old way of thinking. You know why 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 isn't our markup higher? You know what what are what do we have to deal with when it comes to overhead costs and everything? And the realization that we really don't have that many. It it frees us up. We don't we don't have to worry about anything beyond. Are we putting out a good product? You know, it gives us the time to to focus on our design elements. It gives us the the time to actually focus on the the creation. Now we we do have to take the time and have pieces uh, test printed. We got we have to make sure that our our cuts are sound and that it's going to fit most standardized beds um, and everything else. But beyond that, it frees Eric and I up to to put things out and at um, a, even a little faster rate than than you might see in in some other instances. You know, we've we've started off um, with Kickstarter as the initial platform. You know, there are two of them out there already. We're gonna look about uh, you know getting another one out here in the space of the next couple of months, and and see about doing doing a few every year. Um, That's very prolific. So it's realizing that it's just the, the, the time that it takes is going to be he and I sitting down and putting our heads together, coming up with the ideas, working out the design problems on paper in the computer, making sure that they, they'll, they'll run a clean test print, at which point it's ready for the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they and, were talking. And a lot of the, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, James, but a lot of what James is talking about, oddly enough, when he talks about it, I get excited because it was the kind of thing that it's been for me it's been a, it's not been a struggle but it's been a, a process over time and and when james came on board he was asking me these questions and i'm like can't you see i don't want boxes of crap filling up my house that i have to take to the post office and ship mm-hmm. and and the other thing too is is that you're right the prolific the the there is a reason for being prolific. And part of it is, is that we expect with selling the files that yes, we're going to have a relatively smaller market because not everyone's going to have their own 3d printer, but we do have license holders who print for us, for the rest of the populace. Mm -hmm. And 
by producing more content over time, we're able to reach out to more people, promote the idea of 3D printing, but also on top of that, we can eliminate or we can undermine theft by flooding the market or keeping the market stimulated to the point where you want the newest, latest, greatest thing. Yes. And you don't want to necessarily buy the stolen product that's, you know, six months to a year old. We know that the shelf life of a given STL, we're projecting that it's really th three to five years at the absolute outside. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, after you know, if you're buying stuff that's three years old, we've moved on. We're already making the next expansion for that thing. We're already making the next world. We're already making the next uh, brand product. And the truth is, is that that's part of that's part of the um, that's part of the movement in uh, product development anyway, which is you don't want something that's necessarily that old, um, whether it's technology, whether it's you know uh, home goods, um, you want your products to be upkept, uh, both either in their design or in their um, their uh, versatility uh, to fit whatever need that that product is designed for. And a lot of people that are in the old way of manufacturing, their heads break at just this base idea or principle. And it's like, why are you so inflexible? <laughs> yeah, well, because it, how many generations have been stuck in retail is this model. This is mm -hmm. reality. And it, no. <laughs> it's it's the, the, the difference between, you know, when, when they, they talk about how how millennials will, are killing various businesses, it's no, you, you evolve your business model or you die. If, if you can't survive the, the, the changes of the modern age, then you don't deserve to continue. I mean, it's 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 not really survival of the fittest, but you got to keep up. You know, yes. and and for for us, I heck for me moving forward into some of this, just knowing that I can I can create something, you know, make sure that my STL is sound and print it out and have a physical copy of of what I've made in the space of a couple hours or a couple of days yeah. blows my mind. I'm 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 creatively just astounded by that. And, and the um, other and the other thing too is that it goes from it goes from design to test to the consumer in in what what we consider what, right whereas if we were talking about gi joe's for instance back when james and i were kids in in the 80s mm -hmm. that thing would take months upon months upon months of we're going to design the product we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to make a mock-up. We're going to make a prototype where then we're going to go and have the injection molded, you know, steel or aluminum uh, molds made over in wherever, you know, you're talking like a year. Now they're making, they're making hundreds of thousands of these things for pennies and then selling them for 12 to $15 a pop. Um, so their markup is much greater, but it takes forever. Ever, and it's a mountain of people trying to build an individual product. And um, then you have uh, you have a sacrifice in quality. 
say, if an item is manually painted, you know, you have issues with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're in, although I don't want to call this product a boutique product, it's, it's close to that. It's a specialty product. It's not for everybody. We are talking about different ways that worlds overrun can make other types of products for people um there are people that are making figures now like miniatures um there's there's talk about all sorts of different ways that this this way of making products is changing james and i are playing with a bunch of ideas um uh we're, we're actually our, our biggest our currently our biggest product is called the thorn prime and although i don't have the numbers in front of me i think the entire piece the entire piece is this giant shell wall uh, and i'm not going to say what i intended it to be originally but it's just this it's an add-on to this thing and it's it's over 13 inches wide which is its longest dimension and then it's another like 10 inches tall with tears inside of it i got one and it's it's made of 27 individual component printed pieces to put together i got a guy who got his kicks he got his files two weeks ago and he's halfway through printing it (laughs) sends me a semi-aggravated message i have to buy new film at you a-hole i'm so happy (laughs) it's so huge and oh my gosh why is it so big and i told him i'm like and you thought and i I said this is what i typed to him i said giggle you thought i was messing around about world domination (laughs) it's like I want to have three of these on my table. I have to go sell a kidney now. And I'm just like, oh my. Oh. Filament, filament is not that expensive. No. That's, and, and, that's, and that's the thing. It's, it's the time. It's the time on your printer is, is the, the biggest kicker right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still getting my feet wet, you know, when it comes to working with the actual printers and everything else. My, my time with Eric is, is very exciting for me because it's allowing me to explore this side of things some more now. Um, we had a, a conversation not too long ago about, you know, the, the, the future of, of this and, and what it's going to be capable of. And I mean, right now you can, you can get what uh, the CR 10 for what, between three and 500 bucks, sometimes yeah, less. I, I think I, I think I got mine on a special for like 289. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very affordable now. Um, and with that, you know, as, as we move closer to like one-to-one resolution, you know, at, at this point, people are, are working at, you know, two tenths, four tenths, whatever it's going to be. Uh, once we get it to the point where it, it's one-to-one, it's just going to be materials. You know, I mean, you, you can already see some of the, 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 the NASA channels and whatever people from JPL printing, you know, 3D printing fluids within fluids. Um, and, and moving into new materials, the, the, the resin printers and the PLAs and, and all of the rest of it, you know, how, how, how long. Remind me, remind me when you're done, remind me about faceting, remind me about <laughs> faceting. Cause we, we, I want to bring that up. So, right. But so, so as, as, and as we get into this, you know, as we get closer to one-to-one coming out of these printers, the next bit is just going to be, it's going to be materials and then it's going to be speed and, it, they're, they're, they're using room-sized 3D printers to build homes out of cement. 
they're yeah. they're using like like warehouse size 3D printers to build bridges. Yep. Okay. And I, heck, there was even there was an episode of uh, one one of the C one of the CSI type shows where they they used it to recreate a crime scene. You know, as 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 it, as it occurred. It's okay. All right, all right. You, you take you take just a yeah. second, James. Take, yeah. the, 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 that's fun. the funny thing about what James is also talking about is too is this is that when we go and we look at people who are developing assets, mm -hmm. the funny thing is is that James and I are sculpting and designing our product uh, the way that we think about making game assets. Because when we were teaching, we were teaching for games assets, game assets and film assets, but I was already working with 3D printing when I was still at the school. And this product is not faceted. I saw, I saw a relatively nice radar dish just the other day. And the inside surface of the radar dish was faceted I think this file before I decimated it was a million triangles or a million polygons. Mm -hmm. When I decimated it for 3D printing, I still left it at 150, 300 polygons mm -hmm. because I know that that file is still going to look good 10 years from now and someone can print it out in a one-to-one -one system like, an, like a stereolithography system. Yeah. And I don't want any of the defects of faceting in my work and we uh, actually i just yeah and and some designers are working with rudimentary design software and and i'm not telling people to go out and get zbrush and i'm not uh, i've been working with it since That's it came out yeah I've been, well actually you don't you don't need sculptors anymore because the new zbrush has sculptures pro built into it so it already oh. does the real-time tessellation okay so um i had no idea no that's that's the update that just came out a month ago wow that's <laughs> but, good no thank you yeah. uh but um you know if if you want to design a modern day product whatever that product is whether you're going to do you know like my, my, my resin pieces or a figure or or even this guy you know this guy i know for a fact that this guy was made on zbrush Mm -hmm. Um, this is, this is my, my spirit animal Chewbacca here. Um, <laughs> um, the, that product there was not designed with the software that's going to be faceted, you know? So the idea that, that somebody using an FDM style printer is going to want a product that's faceted blows my mind because this is printed on an FDM style printer. This is printed by my buddy, Greg Janung, who does reviews on 3d printers. He's got his own podcast. The, the, the parts are complicated and rich and have lots of information going on. The idea that someone would produce a lesser product just because the 3d printer is not printing down to the, 0.016 millimeters that we print on with the with the other pieces is it makes me scratch my head i'm like why didn't you bother to smooth it why didn't you bother to finish it why are you putting out a piece that only consists of a hundred polygons you say that but then again think of trends 
like if you go on steam look at the recent well it's not recent it's been going on for like the past four or five years now of low poly designs woo you know uh, i i know but uh, how can i say this I, I don't want to attack that the way I normally would, and, and, and here's why. If I go and grab a miniature, and, and I have one here, let's say we have the Corvus Belly Infinity miniature, okay? Uh-huh. This is a this is not a low quality miniature. Now I haven't taken them out of the box because you know I, I haven't had time to assemble them, but this miniature is not a low quality miniature. Why would I want to play with this character on a low quality product it, uh. it it all of the miniatures out there are well defined even the new stylized dnd or semi dnd characters which are kind of uh chibi-esque in their way are smooth and elegant they're not faceted so the idea that you want to produce a faceted product to go with your non-faceted character is 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 kind of like putting mayonnaise on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich it's like you can do it but that sounds disgusting <laughs> yeah. it's a clash um i understand that some people out there are going to want what they think is a stylistic choice of of low poly products um now my brain's going to the gate to the low poly universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, if 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 we want to go that route, then that we need a low quality figurine to go with it, um, and it it makes me it makes me curious as to. I'm not trying to be arrogant, but it does make me curious to the designer whether they have access to the parts or the ability or the capability of producing a high quality product or whether they think that there's a stylistic reason for going that way, or do they just not have the equipment to make a high quality part and they're afraid that their computer's not gonna be able to, to send that high quality part to the slicer and then to the 3D printer. I know that most slicers can handle a million triangle, uh, a million triangle part but generally speaking, I try and keep all my parts within the 100,000 polygon range because, again, I don't want to see faceting and I don't want to sell products that are faceted because it's, it, 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 suspend, it, it breaks the, the suspension of disbelief that this is an a, a environmental piece. Because um, if I see faceted parts, all of a sudden I'm like, I, I'm kind of like, do I need to reload my my LOD here because it's not upgrading as I get closer to it? Yeah, you know? uh, like like in a video game. So it's it's funny to me um, that I still see that now in in three D printed stuff because um, it's in my personal opinion it shouldn't be. Um, it's it's basically like I they they couldn't bother to finish the part. Um, <clears throat> That's my personal take, and it's a personal opinion, but it's it's also just sort of like an observation recently um, where there's there's good things and then there's other things. <sighs> yeah. Um, so what can we expect from you in the coming months, the next um, Kickstarter? Well, the next Kickstarter is going to consist of Strata. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we also have something else that we would like to release alongside of Strata, but we're not there yet. And Strata is, I believe I made this announcement already, but Strata is essentially a cloud city. Um, and it's going to uh-huh. have, um, it's going to have tiers, like all of our other stuff, it's going to have tiers and platforms and what have you. Um, but Strata is, I don't want to give too much away, but Strata is going to be, depending on how you build it and how you view a thing, it could be an elven high city. It could be, um, a little bit like Bespin, it could be like Camino, it could be um, a, a wizard's a wizard's floating temple. Um, but the base principle of Strata is is that it is up in the clouds. It is up off the table surface, and the designs that we're putting with it are going to shake the foundations of what tabletop terrain can be. Some of the designs that I've got on paper that we've already tested out are going to truly shift what terrain can be. The concern I have is that some people are going to, their wallets are going to burst into flames or they're going to cry because they can't get it. (laughs) Because it's going to... the, the end goal for Collapse Industries, not Collapse Industries, Collapse Industries is the, comp- the other company I work with. Yeah, the, the end goal with World Overrun is I want to make set pieces. I want to make terrain that looks like you could use it to film a Star Wars scene, like a miniature, because that's the stuff that I grew up on. I want the piece, I want to be able to fly through it or past it with a camera and have little miniatures on there and just be like, all I need to do is slap a little paint on this thing and it is a movie prop. That's what I want. And Strata, Strata is going to bring some of that to tabletop gameplay. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping bottoms fly off and wallets burst into flames. Yeah, that makes me wanna it makes me wanna revisit um oh gosh, the temple of elemental evil. Okay. <laughs> I mean, does that make sense? Is that is that a scenario that you've done before with your friends? I I haven't, and you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me. I don't get to play a lot of tabletop games. It's all right. I don't have. You're so busy making the experience worthwhile for so many others. Partly, but I'm also very isolated. I live I live off in the uh, southeast corner of Connecticut, and I feel like I'm as far away from every other human being as I can possibly get. I'm two hours from New York and two hours from Boston. And I spend most of my time imagining the games that I would want to play with other people. So not really playing the games because there's the, there, there isn't a lot of opportunity for me to play. Oh, okay. Well, um, do you foresee yourself making a convention presence at all in the future absolutely absolutely we're 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 hoping um with 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 strata i'm hoping that strata is gonna really project worlds overrun into 
a much higher bracket of both income and brand uh, product brand. Um, I actually had a couple of people ask me why I wasn't at Adepticon. Um, we already wanted, we already are planning to go to things like Wonderfest. Um, I want to be at a LuxCon. We wanted to be at LuxCon this year, which is Reading, Pennsylvania, but we're, we, we couldn't get a table. So we're going to try and go for next year. Um, Kirk already did Monster Palooza. I would have loved to have had this stuff at Monster Palooza this year. Yeah, that year. would have fit in nicely. Yeah, yeah. The the idea that we're since since the company's not even six months old. I think we started back in October. The first Kickstarter was back in October. Um, the the yeah, we're we're we want to be at the shows. The shows are for me. They're the, the highlight of this business, which is, is that we do all this work, we get the product out there, people start printing it, and we get a few kudos, but going to the show and having people freak out when they get to pick up a piece or see a piece is just like, that's, my, that's us going to a party. Yeah. Um, and and we have... I, 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 give me just a second. Give me just a second. Right, one, right. Of the, one of the things I'd like to do is is that if when we when we do go to a show is, is that I want to have um, I want to have the money from the Kickstarter or from the the, the new product release. I want to be able to produce a swag bag where people will have a bag that says "War" across it, and they'll get one. They might get one little piece from us, or they might be able to come up to the table and see a set of pieces that we painted that are hyper limited, like there's only two of them available in the world, uh, kind of thing, um, where they can, if they really want to, they can purchase it, but they, they really they can just photograph it and come up and talk to us. Um, I don't want to be, I do not want to be carrying a lot of physical product, but I want to have enough physical product to go to a show and say. This is this is designed by us. This is painted by the creators. Um, this is a representation of who we are, but also who we want tabletop to be. I, I feel that the community and the culture needs to continue to grow in a positive way, and that's really that's really what I want to bring to a convention scene. So, yes, the answer to your question is yes. We will be pursuing a, a convention presence next year because it's most of the conventions the tables don't even they become available they're cost prohibitive yeah and they're nine months and they're nine months out you got to be prepared to go nine months out you can't buy the table the, the day of the show so no. it's a little bit of a are you open to sharing the table a absolutely absolutely i'd be open to sharing a table um Collapse Industries is associated with and, and works alongside of, um, I believe, Vallejo. Um, Vallejo paints and products. No, it's Badger. Is it Badger or Vallejo? Oh, crud. <laughs> I have to double check with my boss. We have an association with we have an association with a um, a major producer of content. And I can't remember if it's Badger or Vallejo Paints. And it might be both, or it might be one or the other. But they share tables and um, or work alongside of each other to, to control booth space at shows. Um, and I would like to do that with Collapse um, as well because I, I'm I'm greatly invested in that company and that brand uh, as would well you as my. Would you care a little about Collapse? 
Collapse Industries is the is the is the company I designed figures for. Um, the the these guys were actually designed by me for Collapse Industries, and we just released uh, three Oni, which are going to come in two. Most of them are going to come in two sizes. In fact, the female Oni. Um, the female Oni is probably the most well-received. We released it at Monster Palooza. It's being printed on our new milkshake 3D printer, which we're it's a uh, which we're actually distributing. Um, but people really want this piece, um, and it's a red. I'm going to show you the red female Oni since I have it here. Okay. Uh, let me see here. She's going to be 90 millimeter, and I'm hoping we're going to do a large scale version of her. Um, oh, beautiful. And she's sculpted by me, and she's got, uh, if you don't know much about the Onis, it's a Japanese, they call it a Japanese demon, but it's essentially a, it's like their interpretation of an ogre with the powers of an elemental. Um, they're known for being sort of like an id of sorts and relatively indestructible. I think they have, um, they sometimes carry around an iron uh, mace that looks a lot like a baseball bat. Um, but she was one of my favorite pieces to design last year. We finally got her, we finally got her printed on the new machine. We've been using her as the test bed uh, piece. She's got a, a demon puma uh, pauldron on one shoulder. Um, and I'm, I can't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be painting her. Um, I'm going to be getting a copy of her in the future. I can't wait to be painting her because I'm going to paint her in the classic red. Um, we actually picked up a new style for doing hair, which Kirk and I both really like. So we can do eyebrows and things like that. Um, and we showed her off and, and everybody wanted a copy at uh, Monster, but we didn't have them out yet. We don't have the. We have, what's that? Yeah. Oh, I was just saying STL, please. I see that comment so often on the three D printing forums that I belong to. Uh, I, I, that's. But that's, no, I'm not asking you for an STL. Mm -hmm. no, it is the, beautiful. It is gorgeous. Oh, you can, wait. Hold on a second. Let me show. Let me show the 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 one that I was really hoping that people would lose their minds over is actually our. The blue Oni, I need to show this because the blue Oni is the one that I want the most. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the one that I spent the most time on. He was actually one of the harder pieces to make uh, recently, but it's something that my heart was really into this piece uh, because people like Kutsuya Tarada and um, Future Models, um, uh, and there's a couple of other artists out there who... Uh, inspired this kind of work um, and this guy this guy is this guy goes with the other three and I, I don't have I don't have him with the base but he he has the exact same base as the female only um, I've got two screens here but he's he got broken in shipping uh, when we went out to monster palooza and I was really hoping that people would see him with his flyaway beard and his iron halo and ethereal flames and just flip out. Um, but this is an early, early version of the sculpting because the, the beard is currently faceted. I know I, I know I complained about that, but it's, it's just that the, this guy is the closest to finish that I can show because there's another model, but. I want him as a door knocker. <laughs> and he's got and he's got he's got a little flaming monkey head on the back of his halo. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so yeah, and and I 
I love this style of doing stuff. Um, in fact, Kirk Kirk kind of threw me for a loop. He want he's using Kirk has these big, massive, beautiful tattoos. He's going to use my onis as filler art on his body, and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're gonna do what now? <laughs> and um i i'm excited for it but when he first told me i kind of had a panic attack and i was like what because it's it was almost as bad as like <laughs> you know putting your girlfriend's name on your body or something like that it's like what if there's a breakup what if we get into a fight <laughs> i can't handle the stress <laughs> but uh no i trust kirk he's he's a really good friend and he's a really great boss and he's so and that would be kick-ass body art too oh my oh, god i can't wait and his 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 artist his his tattoo artist he's one of those guys that only takes so many appointments a year and and everybody else can piss off and his 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 tattoos are so extensive his tattoos are so extensive that when he went to Hong Kong, he was getting crowded on um, a mass transit thing. And his handler knows that he has tattoos and he's in Kirk's like getting a little tense here and getting crowded on the bus or on the train. And the handler's like, take off your sweater. Cause he was wearing, uh, I think short sleeves and he takes off his sweater and everybody all of a sudden sees like his full arms and part of his chest and they just start backing off because they're they're kind of afraid they think he's like a gang member or something oh gosh <laughs> so it was so silly um but it is a cultural thing for them so it's like to us it's like whatever um but it, it's it's great uh, it's so great being involved with james and kirk and and all the people that consume our stuff um because we put so much into it and there's so much love for the pieces and the passion for the stuff that that when somebody tells me that they like what we're doing it just motivates me uh to to make the next thing and to make the next thing and to make the next thing and to make it bigger and better and more provocative and more exciting and and I can't tell you how much uh, I love sharing our work with people because, you know, there's been a lot of struggle to get here. And now that it's happening, I just want to make the next thing. I don't want it to stop. You know what I mean? Excellent. Well, I can tell you that we here at Legends of Tabletop are definitely intrigued and we look forward to seeing what's to come from you. And unfortunately, I'm going to cut our interview off and thank okay. you for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to more things to come from Worlds Overrun. Thank you and have a wonderful afternoon, you guys. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.